Good morning, church. As we gather to hear God's word, I want to begin by praying. Almighty God, creator of heaven and earth, I come before you as your child, redeemed by the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. I thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit and ask that as I speak this word, that you, Holy Spirit, would guide my tongue to speak your word and that you would open the ears and hearts of those listening to hear what you want to say. I pray this in the power and name of Jesus Christ, my Lord and Saviour. Amen. Today we carry on looking at the book, The, the Acts of the Apostles. I pick up from where Andy left off last Sunday. After the mini-series over the summer, Andy resumed the series last Sunday, looking at Acts chapter 10. But he did more than that. He went halfway into chapter 11, which was the right thing to do, because it is where the story that he was looking at ended. Chapter 11 should only begin where I start today, in my opinion. But before I read through the rest of chapter 11, I need us to backtrack and just remind ourselves of two things. Firstly, in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, we read, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Jesus tells the disciples to remain in Jerusalem for the Holy Spirit to empower them so that they can be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. They are not just to stay where they are, but be prepared to go to other villages, towns, cities and nations. To go out to where the people who need to hear the gospel are. Secondly, it was only after the death of Stephen and the subsequent persecution of the church that the believers moved out of Jerusalem and started witnessing to those living in Samaria and Judea. And churches were subsequently started. Witnessing was taking place in these first three places mentioned by Jesus. Now we get to hear about it finally getting out towards the ends of the earth. Now we have to remember that the known world at that time was a lot smaller than what we know now about the world. Now I've called this message, Making Disciples in Antioch. Let's read Acts chapter 11, verses 19 to 30. Now those who had been scattered by the persecution in connection with Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, telling the message only to Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. 
News of this reached the ears of the church at Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived and saw the evidence of the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought, brought to the Lord. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. During this time, some prophets came down to, from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them, named Agabus, stood up and through the Spirit predicted that a severe famine would spread over the entire Roman world. This happened during the reign of Claudius. The disciples, each according to his ability, decided to provide help for the brothers living in Judea. This they did, sending their gift to the elders by Barnabas and Saul. Last Sunday, we heard how Peter was led by God to minister to the first group of Gentiles when he was invited to go to the house of Cornelius, a Roman centurion in Caesarea in Samaria. Today, we see where the gospel goes out to Gentiles living in another country, heading towards the ends of the earth. We hear about the gospel having an impact in Antioch. Antioch was an important city at this time. It was the third largest city in the Roman Empire after Rome and Alexandria. It was the capital of the Roman province of Syria. It was a city of power and influence. Impacting the city of Antioch would impact the province around it and beyond. Now, to me, it looks like there were two groups of people that went to Antioch. The first were those that went there right after the persecution of the church in Jerusalem, who preached only to the Jews. And then another group who were bold and began speaking to the Greeks, the Gentiles. Now, one of them could well have been Nicholas. He was one of the seven chosen to serve the Greek widows in Jerusalem. In Acts chapter 6, we are told about this in verse 5 and 6. This proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. Also Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. Would you head, wouldn't you head back to your home city if the place that you were living in came under persecution? This is just a thought that I had in this preparation. 
Now, if Nicholas was or wasn't part of this group is not important. What is important is that this group had an impact on the Greek Gentiles. And many believed and turned to the Lord. The disciples from Jerusalem were making disciples in Antioch. Disciples were making disciples. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard about what was going on in Antioch, they decided to send a mature leader from the church in Jerusalem to see exactly what was happening. Just like they sent Peter and John to Philip in Samaria. They chose a man formerly known as Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom they called Barnabas, which means son of, an, of encouragement. Who better to send but a man who the apostles renamed son of encouragement? He went there and did what his name means. He encouraged the church and it grew. Barnabas knew that the work was too much for just himself. So he went off to Tarsus to find his friend Saul, later to be known as Paul. They returned to Antioch and spent a year in the city meeting and teaching the church. They were making disciples that could make disciples. Making disciples takes time and effort. It doesn't happen instantly. Making converts can happen instantly, but Jesus never told us to make converts, but to make disciples. In some places in the world, it is very easy to make converts, but very often those converts never become disciples and do what Jesus has called them to do. And that is to co-mission with Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit and to make disciples of others. When we lived in Malawi, we were regularly invited to rural churches we worked with for a weekend of meetings and teachings. Doing an outreach service was very easy. You did it under the stars at night with a gas lamp to illuminate your notes and for the people to see your face and the face of the interpreter. You, you didn't need to be a gifted evangelist to be successful or look successful. After lots of worshipping, you would preach a simple gospel message and at the end of your message, you would make an appeal for those who want to repent of their sin and receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Now, every time it would be just about everyone with their hands in the air responding, even after numerous explanations that you only need to respond if you have never responded before. Conversions were easy. The people put their hands in the air. They repeated a prayer of repentance and acceptance of Jesus as Lord and Savior, and they were saved. The majority never grew in knowledge and understanding of what it means to be a disciple. 
mainly because the church leaders have, had never been properly discipled and so didn't know how to do it. Disciples were not making disciples. During the day, we would have teaching and training times with the leaders, equipping them to be able to equip their people. It was a long, slow process. Now, the Western church is not much different when it comes to making disciples. I'm generalizing now, but in most churches, the disciple making is the responsibility of the church leaders and not the responsibility of the congregation, the members of the church, which is contrary to scripture. The Great Commission is given to every one of us. We are all responsible for making disciples. Now, please read this scripture with me. It is where Jesus commissions the apostles and us as his disciples. Matthew chapter 28 verses 19 and 20. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. As you've read that, you have just commissioned yourself to be a disciple maker. It is part of your responsibility as a believer, as a member of the body of Christ, the church. The responsibility of the leaders is to equip the church, the saints. That's you, to do the works of service. Ephesians chapter 4 verses 11 and 12 tell us, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Did you know that you are a saint? If you have repented of your sins and received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you are a saint. Remember that. Don't let the devil tell you otherwise. Many believers struggle with this. They still think that they are sinners. And sometimes church liturgy reinforces that belief. We are saints, but we are still able to sin if we choose to. All believers need to receive teaching and also need to be able to disciple and teach others. Many educators say that the best way to learn something is to teach someone else. That is the discipleship or apprenticeship model. It was the model that Jesus used with his disciples and is the model we should be doing in the church now. This is Paul writing to Timothy. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 13 and 14. What you heard from me, keep as the pattern of sound teaching with faith and love in Christ Jesus. Guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. 
And in 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 2, he goes on and he says, And the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses entrust to reliable men who will also be qualified to teach others. Discipleship making is an ongoing process. We should all be making disciples and also continue to be discipled. We see this in what Paul writes to Timothy in the verse we've just read. Paul discipled Timothy, teaching him many things and tells him to guard what he has learned with the help of the Holy Spirit. He then instructs him to entrust the teachings he has heard from Paul to reliable men, reliable disciples who will then be qualified to disciple others. Discipleship is an ongoing process. We should always be learning and then sharing what we have learned with others so that they can pass it on to the next group of people, of believers. To do this is vital that the, to do this is vital that the firm foundations are laid for new believers, for new disciples. Otherwise, they will never grow and be able to disciple others. Barnabas and Saul spent a year in Antioch to lay firm foundations and establish a strong network of disciples that were able to disciple others and thus grow the church. We will see some of the results of this in chapter 13. As a church this week, we started doing mission-shaped living, equipping us and giving us the tools to live missional lives, encouraging us to reach out to those who do not know Jesus as Lord and Savior. We are being equipped by this course through the encouragement and leading of our Connect Group leaders. Thank you, Connect Group leaders, for doing this. We really appreciate all the work you're putting in. I'd like to put out a challenge to all of us, even if you're not part of Connect Group. Can we each ask God to show us one person that he wants to save through us reaching out to them? And then will you disciple them for a year? Disciple that person. The second part of the challenge is, after a year, will they be able to reach out and disciple someone new themselves? How well will you be able to equip them? This is what Paul was telling Timothy to do. Disciples are meant to make more disciples. Now, as a church leader, I can sometimes focus more on the equipping of the saints and, and hide behind that call on my life and not focus on reaching out to the lost and making disciples. I am as challenged by this as I think you are. But I believe it is what God wants us to do. As a disciple, be ready and equipped to make disciples. I'm not going to speak about the last four verses about prophecy and generosity. That is a teaching for another time. What I want us to take away from this message is that each one of us is called to co-mission with Jesus in being disciples 
and making disciples of those who do not know Jesus as Lord and Savior, wherever we find ourselves. Can we commit to this? Let's pray. Oh, Holy Spirit, we need you to fill us, to lead us and guide us as we prepare to co-mission with you as your disciples and begin making disciples of those who are not part of the kingdom of God. Show each one of us who it is that you want us to reach out to and share your love and life with to draw them into your kingdom. Help us to be bold and courageous as we begin to live this out. Thank you that your word tells us in 2 Timothy 1.7 that you have not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. So we need not fear anything or anyone. I pray this in the wonderful and powerful name of Jesus Christ. Amen.